0: The big thing I have to say that struck me when I wrote this email at the series to the guy I was talking about there with the album, I just thought, this guy doesn't know me at all. And I have done quite a bit of cold email outreach and it's really difficult. So it's hard to quantify what it is to be a successful person with cold email. It's not necessarily a number of meetings booked or replies because it's so different across the board and what you should expect. But I just thought, I know that I have, some stuff to help this guy out with and people in his similar role because he's working in a company that is very much like what I used to work in and I've been in his shoes in a way I can I've tried to solve the problem I'm talking about so I know that I can help but it's more of how do I convince him that I can instead of what was the problem or the goal or pain that he's experiencing it was more of how do I show resonation and how do I tell him it's okay, I get what's going on and I have a couple of ways that I might be able to help. Then we'll just talk about that. It wasn't necessarily, are you looking for a change management solution? Because change management is important. Right now, I can help you with that change management solution. It was just, how do I convince him that I can help? And the, the way that it seemed to work in this case is I researched him quite well and maybe just thought, well, he's obviously that bothered about talking to me. Hopefully it's useful.
1: Welcome to Stuff About Sales. That was Ollie Whitfield. Ollie was kind enough to come on and talk to us about two topics that are very important and very interesting to a lot of sellers. The first is social selling. How to break into social selling? What are some good habits to get into at the start? Are there some strategies that work better than others? And how to be creative when utilizing social media channels to market to prospective buyers. The second part of the interview is around email prospecting. We share a very interesting story about how Ali researched a prospect, didn't get too personal, but did enough research to really connect with a prospect that he hadn't been able to get in touch with. We thought it was interesting, wanted to share. Finally, Vanilla Soft has some very interesting insights around best time of day, best day of the week, best email subject etiquette to connect with a prospect. We run through all that, Ollie actually quizzes us. I think from a practical perspective, this is one of the best podcasts that we've done. As we head into 2021, maybe this will get some of your juices flowing about how you can get creative to connect with a prospect that you haven't been able to get a hold of, that's been ignoring your emails, maybe looking at things but haven't been responding. There's some great stuff in here that Ollie shares with us that can help. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Without further ado, here's Ollie.
2: Today, James and I are incredibly excited to have Ollie Whitfield on. Uh, Ollie has some tremendous content on LinkedIn. Uh, He's a product manager, he's been a copywriter, he's been in social selling. So we're gonna get we're gonna get practical today. We're gonna to talk about um, some email uh, prospecting how tos. We're also gonna talk about social selling and really ways to get into that if you're not currently doing that. Uh, so without further ado, Ollie, welcome on. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. I'm just trying to keep pace with you. So that was a very
0: kind introduction. Uh, I'm I'm working at Vanilla Soft here, so that's a, a sales engagement platform, and with that. I get the great joy and the pleasure of diving into a whole load of stats around how, how long do people cold call, how well do they do it, and cold email as well. And uh, with that, we get to mix in a bit of social too. So I get to see quite a lot of just generally how a lot of sales reps are having fun and, and how they're doing stuff. And I get to see what the trends are in between good and bad and somewhere in the middle. So hopefully um, I've got some cool stats to let you know about and we can dive into what they mean.
2: Perfect. Yeah. Before we jump in, you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself. And then uh, our favorite first question after you do that is how did you initially get into the sales game and the uh, the social side of selling? I don't know if anybody
0: has an orthodox route into this industry and mine's kind of the same. So uh, I remember one day sat in school, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, even though I was about 17 thinking, oh, no, I don't have too much time left here to work it out. And I got an email from the school team. They were looking at uh, apprenticeships and internships. So I I stumbled across one, which was working at a marketing agency, which I went for and got. I did that for a good few years. And I jumped across to a different agency who were doing something very different. They were offering a client an SDR as a service, but it was only using social just as an experiment. And that's where my sort of attempt to get into sales and where my uh, exposure to it all began. It was LinkedIn and Twitter and, you know, everything social prospecting, everything personal brand, that kind of stuff. And uh, it just so sort of never left me. And uh, I'm not a salesperson right now. I'm a product marketer, which means I do a whole lot of things, but I'm still doing some prospecting when I can and on the side to try and, you know, keep myself sharp with it and try and test some stuff out.
1: So I was super excited to have you on because. I'm not an expert at social selling. Let me just put it that way. And I think there is a lot of ideas right now that are going around about what is the best way to maximize social media platforms to get your message across. If you're an SDR, if you're an account executive, really in any role. And I think if it's okay with you, we should maybe start with the basics. And can you just give us a, a short definition of how you would define social selling and just give us a rundown on, on social selling.
0: I would uh, think of it not like a big, crazy, difficult thing that's like an extra massive project that you got to think about as a rep. You know, if you're prospecting and you're trying to break into your accounts or your SDRA, whatever the role is, it if you're not especially uh, acclimatized or used to doing that kind of stuff, being on maybe a podcast, maybe posting something on LinkedIn here and there. It can seem like, oh my gosh, this is this huge thing that i got to do and where do I find the time for this? Am I going to look stupid? Am I going to say the wrong stuff? What what do I say? How do I say it? Where do I say it? All these kinds of things come up. If you take a step back and don't view it as this direct sales outcome oriented thing, it it can actually become that in a weird way. So my posting on LinkedIn, it's in a way, it's more for fun. Uh, I don't really look at Facebook. Maybe I'm sad and a loser, but... I just go through LinkedIn. It kind of gets me interested in stuff. I see people posting about things, ideas come to mind, stuff like that. And just in a natural way, I I look at it and I say, that's interesting. Let me uh, maybe DM that person about why they did that or whatever it may be. And, and from there, you kind of grow a bit of a, a network, same as you want on Facebook. You know, if your friends see you on holiday or whatever it may be back in the day when you could go on holiday, they would maybe show appreciation and like it and give you a comment, wish you a good time, something like that. The same kind of thing unfolds where if you know a few founders and a few marketing leaders, whatever it may be, and you get into a routine of commenting with them and you know liking and you, you discuss things personally, then chances are sometimes they come back around and do the same to you. And all of a sudden, you've got a little bit of a groundswell approach where you've got a little bit of a fan base, a community, an audience, whatever you call it, it kind of grows from there, and it, it snowballs.
1: Yeah, I have a couple. I have a couple questions. If somebody isn't doing this at all right now, what would you say is the best way for them to dip their toe in? I'll speak from personal experience, real quick. Sometimes I think a lot about if a post, especially on LinkedIn, if if something I'm about to post from a content perspective is going to be viewed as useful or something that sounds contrived to. Get clicks, and I want to make sure that what I'm posting is always something that people would find useful is there Is there a, a barometer for that and and specifically talking about LinkedIn right now, but I guess this could apply to the other platforms as well twitter instagram uh, Facebook
0: to start off with, yeah, it's a little strange and you're not quite sure what you're aiming for in a way it's It's hard to uh, look at a post that's got no engagement on it at all and think that was great, you know. But that's just sort of a superficial way of looking at it. If you think about it, if nobody likes or comments or does anything like that, if that's what you're looking for with your post, at least still some people will have seen it. And sadly, the majority of people actually won't engage with stuff. Even if they found it useful, they'll just kind of have a read and move on because there's so many million things in their feed that are looking for their attention and looking for them to click and type something. So that's just kind of the way it is. And when you... When you get your mind around that, when you're accepting of that, it sort of changes and you don't think that imposter syndrome feeling goes away a little bit and you're less concerned of well, is this written correctly? Would this stand out nicely? Will this be useful enough? Is this gonna be embarrassing? Am I gonna look silly? Those kind of things they go away a bit more and you can say, I'm just posting my journey. It's documentation, it's here's what I'm trying. Am I going wrong? Am I going right? What do you guys think? Help me out, rolling this together. Is that kind of feeling when you get into a routine and a bit more of a habit of just going for it? And you don't have to necessarily come with something groundbreaking or extremely useful every day. It could just be, look, I made a hundred calls a day and I got told to f off twenty times. That's a record for me. Wow, what a day! Bring on tomorrow. Something like that, you know. That's that's perfectly fine, and most people would probably find that quite funny. And you know, you might get some rallied support or maybe some, you know, what did you learn from this type of um, type of question? So there's lots of ways of doing it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think I think the lesson is that we all go through depending on what our role is people that are also in our same role, they go through the same things that we go through every day. And sometimes just sharing your experience can hit home to somebody and make an impact and you wouldn't even know it. And yeah, they may scroll through, they may not like it, they may not Leave a comment, but that makes complete sense.
2: I think that's a great approach, um, kind of, especially as you're breaking into the social selling market, because you do have those, uh, those anxiety, or the anxieties, or those fears that you know what you're posting is, like you said, James, contrived or not helpful, or you know, does this sound professional? Am I saying the right words? Like you mentioned, Ollie, that's a great way to approach it. If you're just being true to yourself and your own um, experiences in your workplace. Everybody else on your feed, generally the people that you're connecting with, are doing similar careers or, or similar day-to-day occupations. So it's going to be helpful. So if you're true to yourself and you're truly you know, putting yourself out there about your own experiences or trying to help other people through their experiences, it takes a lot of those fears and anxieties out of play, I feel like. Yeah, no one's perfect, are they? Nobody's
0: got 5 million followers who are really engaged with it. It's just... Everybody else is a person who's not sure if they're going to get laughed at or something that just the same as you're right if we post something. Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: So this past week, I saw a post that you Photoshopped yourself on an album with Elvis Costello to engage with a prospect on LinkedIn. Can you tell us a little bit about that story?
0: So for the folks listening, I've been called out here and, and this is a good thing because I have so far, I managed to get away with not posting this funny picture. Um, so I've made a very personalised um, campaign to a prospect who I thought would benefit from talking to my company, and uh, it was a, a few emails and a couple um, social touches so far. And I'd planned to call, but it was uh, staggered out in a, in a way. And uh, the first email was about some stuff on their website and uh, some customers. I believe it was the next was that they were hiring. Uh, another customer mentioned and the fourth one was uh, the one that got the most traction in a way having googled the guy he'd been on a on an album with elvis costello and um i I confess you know i googled it to find out something interesting and that's what i found and i found it interesting i don't know everything about elvis costello at all i know the name i know he's in music kind of about all i know so i just found an album cover of his and Put myself on it in a really haphazard, silly way. It didn't look good. It was—it wasn't meant to be perfect at all. It was just a bit of a joke, lighthearted email. Sort of. If I can't generate a bit of interest with that, then what am I going to generate it with? It probably wouldn't have happened if—if if not with that. So uh, the guy doesn't reply to it, which is cool. But I put a LinkedIn note um, to connect with him later on that day after the email was sent. After I'd seen that he'd uh, read it a few times. And he writes me back. I didn't put anything personalized in the invite. I didn't really say anything. I just, you know, went for the connect. And he said, uh, you know, that was funny. And, you know, uh, I noticed that you followed up a couple of times. So, yeah, if, if you want to talk next year, that'll be cool. So we're going to have a chat. And I can't confess that works every single time at all. But I did sort of allude that I may have to post the picture of the album cover if uh, if I did get the meetings. And now I'm kind of hypocrite if I don't, which yeah, I might have to do that.
1: Yeah, what we can do, we can put the I'll put a link to the post in the uh in the show notes. So if people want to check that out after they listen, they can do that. So what so do you think anything should be off the table from let me put, do you think people are too conservative on LinkedIn and, and social media to kind of stay inside a box and, and make sure that they're conforming to what people want to hear? And, and more people should be putting themselves out there like you did and, and, and making a mark. Do you think that there's a, a blue ocean of s- social media um, messaging ideas that people have yet to explore?
0: Yeah, I think it comes with the maturity sort of thing. It's the early adopter curve, It's you know, that's way. Back now for uh for people using LinkedIn and I think most people when they see that they think oh well, would uh would this look bad or you know would I get into a leadership position if I'm seen like this would it hinder me in my career in any way if you're too sort of out there and a bit less on the formal side of things which maybe LinkedIn used to be a, a few years ago and you know how people conducted themselves but now the way I see it I, I could well be wrong but tell me what you guys think some of the companies that are making it really big, like Drift and Gong, some of them, like they're quite edgy and they're quite personalized, informal, casual, you could say, in how some of their people talk and how they just conduct themselves, how they brand and everything like that. So I think that makes it a bit more acceptable. It kind of removes that fear of, oh, well, would I be deemed a little bit less professional? Would I be a risk? And of course, if you're a Thompson Reuters financial director, then yeah, m- maybe it's not amazing to be a hilarious joker on LinkedIn, but you never know. And uh, I think now more than ever, and possibly continually, it's, it's more acceptable, more beneficial to be a bit more on that side of things with a balance, obviously, but, but now more than ever.
2: Yeah, I think, I think some of that's probably role dependent, but especially as a, um, content creator, you know, product manager, social media person, uh, account executive, if you're in sales directly, I think breaking through the noise is important. You know, we have, we're have we kind of constantly inundated with stuff on LinkedIn. We're constantly inundated with things on email prospecting, you know, and that can kind of help us transition to email here in just a second. But really personalizing things and being a little bit different and being creative and finding ways to break through the kind of set templates, you know, that everybody sees helps you get noticed, whether it's on LinkedIn and whether, you know, as we transition, whether it is in email prospecting as well, you know, those canned emails or those canned LinkedIn posts aren't probably going to get as much traction or, you know, get people to click in them and engage as, you know, something that's personalized, like you mentioned, or something that's creative. I think that's really where we are as as a selling culture.
0: The big thing I have to say that struck me when I wrote this email the series to the guy I I was talking about there with the album I just thought this guy doesn't know me at all and I I have done quite a bit of cold email outreach and it's really difficult so it's hard to quantify what it is to be a successful person with cold email it's not necessarily a number of meetings books or replies because it's so different across the board and what you should expect but I just thought I know that I have some stuff to help this guy out with and people in his similar role because he's working in a company that is very much like what I used to work in and I've been in his shoes in a way I can I've so, tried to solve the problem I'm talking about so I know that I can help but it's more of how do I convince him that I can instead of what was the problem or the goal or pain that, that he's experiencing it was more of how do I show resonation and how do I tell him it's okay I get what's going on and I have a couple ways that I might be able to help then we'll just talk about that it wasn't necessarily are you looking for a change management solution because change management is important right now i can help you with that change management solution it was just how do i convince him that i can help and the the way that it seemed to work in this case is i researched him quite well and maybe just thought well he's obviously that bothered about talking to me hopefully it's useful you know at least i had that point maybe it was luck but you know that's what i took from it personally it was less I never tried to solve the pain or
2: anything. It was just resonation to him and from personal experience. You're right. I think that's the the biggest practical thing that people need to come away from.
1: You're opening a conversation. You're not not completing the sale through one message on LinkedIn or one email. You're opening a conversation. And the way to do that is to connect on a one-to-one basis. And let me just follow up. So, Ali, what, what what would you say is a, a nice combination of email outreach and social media usage to connect with somebody that you are trying to make this uh, this you're trying to initiate this this type of of um, conversation with? Is it is it send some emails and then send the same message through LinkedIn and and hope that they they see one and open one, or maybe they're more likely to to talk to you on LinkedIn because it seems more personal? Or do you have different ways that you message? through email uh, as compared to LinkedIn
0: or any it, media. I keep it totally different, primarily because it feels weirder if you send a couple messages on LinkedIn without reply. It feels like you're continuing with weird context, whereas an email is sort of a fresh thread that you're not um, con- you know, just continuously adding to. So to soften a little bit, I go with the email first. And if you're calling, then I probably call, then email, then LinkedIn, if you had to do it in a specific order. But certainly for email, it, it's like a softening touch. If you you know, your email signature has the same picture in it as your LinkedIn, for example, that's a mental note of, I remember this person. So, you know, you're going to get the connect a bit more often and they'll remember that. Okay. Yeah. They emailed me before I remember it. What did they say? Is this one better? Is this one more interesting? And then after a while, you know, if you've sent maybe a video, if you send a couple of resources, if it's interesting and personalized, then yeah, th- then the LinkedIn starts to really work and you don't have to come in with the email. Again, it depends if if they don't really have that much uh, posting going on, if they're not too active, then it might be a little different. You might take a little bit more of a colder approach versus, um, you know, for you guys, if I was trying to sell into you, I'd I'd comment on the podcast and I'd, you know, share it and I would ask you some questions about it maybe I have a friend that might be a good guest for you something like that because that's there for me that's that's an option as a networking tool and then when we have the relationship I can probably have the right to ask a couple of questions if it's relevant enough but but if you don't have that then you know you, you obviously have to look and try and find something maybe on Google maybe another provider but aside from that then the colder approach is sort of your only option but I, I try to go for the easiest route to some kind of rapport that you can get
1: so would you would you say is there is there is there too much like can you do too much of this like is it creepy if um if you're trying to prospect into somebody that's not responding to you and you start liking and and commenting and sharing their their things like is it is that will they not care or in general will they even see this activity and maybe they won't make anything of it
0: i think it depends on what the person's um audience looks like if uh let's say they're Tony Robbins and they've got like a million followers and stuff like that. The chances are they, they don't even know they've probably got someone posting for them. So that, yeah, have had it, do what you want. That that may not work and it may look funny if all you're doing is posting Tony Robbins quotes. But, you know, if it's a person who's, you know, like one of us, then I would go with what is on par with what other people are doing with them. It's if you don't post that much personally, And 90% of what you're doing is about this one person or a group of a couple people. It looks a little bit odd. So maybe you want to add some of your own stuff in the mix, maybe some other stuff just generally to make it look a little bit more normal, not like you're a predator in a way. But, you know, if you can just mix it in and some of it doesn't have to be public. The DM is where a lot of the cool stuff goes on. If you shared something, and maybe you commented, go for the DM and, you know, take it that way. The public stuff, its that's good for the networking and putting your name out there, familiarity. But where it really goes down is inside the private message. And, you know, so long as it's not once a day and, hey, did you read my previous message? Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about that? If it becomes like the crazy ex-partner, then stop right there and, you know, review the balance. But, you know, I would just go for what seems about right in terms of how often do they post you don't have to go on every single one, but if they're quite posting quite a bit, then it's okay to up your volume a little bit because it won't stand out quite so much.
1: Yeah, I got to say, just I, I may or may not judge people I see on Instagram commenting on famous people uh, posts, like asking questions or or making uh, statements about uh, about the picture. I, I I may I may be I may judge them uh, a little bit. So we're, we're we're running out of time here. I do want to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing at Vanilla Soft, and I know you had some insights to share on email connection and email response rates, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you um, talk a little bit about that, and, and uh, if there's any follow-up, we'll we'll, we'll, uh, we'll ask from there.
0: Okay, so why don't we flip it a little bit? I'll, uh, I'll read out a couple very simple stats, and maybe you guys tell me what you think you would do to apply it. How's that sound?
1: Let's do it. All right,
0: let's put, let's put you guys on the spot. Brave guys for attempting this live on a on a podcast. Okay, so I looked at in inside of AutoClose, which is a an email provider that VanillaSoft has recently acquired, and I get to spend a whole bunch of time in their archive there. How many words are in a cold email subject line? And the most common is four words, and the top three or four are very close together in terms of how common this is. Four words,
2: six words, three words, five words, two words. That's the top. Is the question how many? How many words? So I'm going to say five words. Average or how many is ideal?
1: No, he's saying how many are on average.
2: That's right. It's what actually is the
0: average. And then I'd like to know what you guys think is the optimal and why. I would
2: say the average is probably six.
1: I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say five. I'm going to say five.
2: I would say the ideal is probably three to four.
1: And I I will say the average is, okay, I'm I'm sorry. I, I said the average is five or six. I think optimally it'd be two. And I can, I can speak to that a little bit if we want to. Do you want to tell us the answer? And then we can give some more thoughts on this.
0: Can I be really harsh and put you on the spot further? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Why two?
1: So, My opinion on email in general, especially in a cold email, is that you want to be as short and to the point as possible, but you want to try to grab attention. So when you're talking about an email subject, I would make it snappy and I would make it short and uh, similar to how I would approach the body of an email as well, except I would make it personal, uh, snappy and uh,
2: uh, short. Completely agree and echo, James. My only um, change would be to add another word or two to get to three to four words just so you can have a little bit more context. Sometimes two words may not be enough to even complete a sentence or complete a thought. You're right on the money. That's exactly what I've seen and the stats lead you to believe.
0: So the most common is four words, which I thought it would be quite a lot higher. Yeah. I did a too. poll about it and it was, yeah. I thought maybe five would be the minimal really, uh, maybe up to 10. But when you think about it, most people read an email on their phone. I think it, it's six or depending on the length of the wording, it you can get maybe five words in before it truncates. So that was kind of surprising, but four is about right. And as you guys said, I would probably even go less than that. You're if you can, then maybe two or three is quite punchy and it's sort of adds a bit of mystique. I think if you said my subject line to you guys is your podcast, you think what? What about it? Like what? If you got a question, do you want to come on it? Are you going to sponsor it? What's it going to be? So that kind of picks the curiosity. So do you guys experiment with that? Do you have um, emails that you guys send that are shorter subject lines and find that they work?
1: Yeah. I mean, what I would say to this is I think that with when you're talking about prospecting in general, my, my attitude on prospecting in general is that everything should be on the table and you can take things off the table that you've tried and you haven't seen success. So there's a lot of tools out there that people use to do this. We, we know them. Sales Loft, Outreach, there's some other ones. And when you put these uh, emails and cadences and you run them through prospect lists, you can get the stats on what is getting opened, what is getting read, what is getting replied to, if there's impressions, uh, click-throughs, all of that. So that that's my opinion. Um, I think there's things that, yeah, I think the whether or not to put people's names in in the email subject line, their organization, what the message should be, should it be one word, two word, four words, um, uppercase, lowercase? These are all things I can tell you that we've tried at Vonage, and we we see the most success. I'll tell you when the subject line is lowercase, all lowercase, and it's short. And uh, you're correct, Ollie, as well. We you leave them with a bit of mystique, like I should open this and see what this email is about. So you put something in there that will pique their interest to then open the email to read, uh, read the greater message.
0: Love that. Okay. So I'll read a a couple more and then, uh, and then we'll see what, how much time we have. So which days of the week do we think are best for a cold email? So I have it by email open rate and by click rate, meaning if there's a link or a video or something like that and finally the reply rate so just generally speaking we don't have to go through each different type but what would you guys guess is the best day of the week
2: for an email i think this i think this is pr- pretty uh a couple uh, pretty dated i think this was a couple of years old that i read um and I, i've done some testing was tuesday was the highest open rate
1: i'm gonna say wednesday
0: that's interesting because I have Monday is on average the best and closely, closely followed by Tuesday.
1: Really? Okay, so my question around that would be, and I don't know if we're ever going to have the answer to this right now, but I would feel like Monday would be a bad day because their inbox is full from maybe the weekend, maybe from the end of last week, and they probably are catching up on a bunch of emails. So rather than be one email in the inbox in a, in a full list of unread messages, I would think like, hey, by Tuesday, by Wednesday, maybe they've got through that. And they're, it's a slower day, I don't know, a Wednesday, midweek, and they would be more likely to engage with an email. But that's really interesting. So Monday, Monday's the day.
0: Yeah, like it goes without saying, it doesn't mean that don't bother emailing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's, you know, it's a, it's a round approach. But I thought the same. And um, I guess my theory, and I'll have to dig into the stats a bit better and, and pull out some more causation behind it. But personally, I'm thinking that it's okay. Matt's a super busy exec. He's coming back from his weekend. He's probably thinking, right, what am I actually doing this week? What have I got to come? What have I got to get done? If I'm actually in that inbox, some sometime around the right time, doesn't have to be exactly the moment he's there. If I've got the right subject line and stuff like that, and if I've attempted and I've followed up enough times, chances are I, I could get that open. If it's the right email and if I catch him when he's trying to look where you never know, some people have um Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays their meetings and work day, and Monday is sort of the getting ready and, and Friday's the finishing off the week type of day. It, it it depends. And I think it depends a lot on the role that you're prospecting in the industry. But yeah. that's that's my theory at like a very top level of it.
2: No, so I'll I will like find out. You're right, you're spending a lot of time on Mondays in your inbox. As James said, catching up, and that was kind of my initial philosophy as well. There, people are just clicking through, trying to clear out everything that they that's stacked up over the weekend, you know. And maybe you can catch them, let's say Tuesday, and they're still engaged in that week, but they're early on, you know. So, uh, my next question for you, Ollie, and maybe you have this data with you, is uh, what's the correlation between that open rate on Mondays and reply rates? Um, so, Monday is the best day for open rate, and Monday is the
0: best day for reply rate, but it's not the best day for click rate. Albeit, I mean, seriously, the, the margin there is really small. Wednesday's the best for click rate by half a percent. So we're not talking about a big difference there. So that's just generally why I say Monday. It's in the top three on all three of the uh, metrics that I've got there.
2: So even Mondays, you're you're getting a higher open rate as people are, are kind of filtering through their inbox. But you're also getting a pretty high engagement as well. That's That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, the highest reply rate by... Uh, a bigger distance, the highest click rate by a very marginal distance. And that that's only if you do actually have a link involved. Otherwise, it's it's going to be a very small amount, isn't it? And the highest uh, open rate by a fair distance as well. Not not huge. It doesn't mean don't email on any other day. But, but by some distance, which I didn't expect, I really thought that, like you were saying, the midweek when you're kind of in the flow, as it were, I thought that would be better.
1: Yeah, no doubt. All right, what else you got for us? This is, this is fun. I like this.
0: Okay. Uh, the last thing I got is the time of the day. So if you had to guess in a time zone agnostic, right? So just whatever time of the day you think. What's best for open rate and reply rate?
1: All right. All right. I'm going to take this one because I, I think I know the answer. So somebody told me a long time ago that the best time to email somebody or, and, and really call somebody is is, is 10 Ten thirty in the morning, in their morning, whatever their time zone is, because they'll have gotten to the office or started work. Now, if we're remote, they'll have had their cup of coffee. They'll have browsed through maybe some of their opening day items, and they're they're settled in. And it's likely that they're going to be at their desk, ready to engage with you.
2: I've seen I've seen ten thirty to eleven thirty that window.
1: Are we right or wrong?
2: I'm not going to say
0: right or wrong. I'm going to say my stats surprise me again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, across the board, this was really weird. It's really polite to call wrong. So with the reply and uh, and click rate for day of the week, it was sort of a bit all over the place. It was it wasn't uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was top three. It was you know sometimes it was Tuesday, Friday, Monday, for example. So this this was weird. 2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4 p.m. in that order across open rate, click rate, and reply rate was best in that order. So so say my stats. So I thought. Why the hell would three o'clock be a good time? I mean, you know, you could say people are checked out, you could say they're off their calls, but I my theory was two o'clock, roughly. That's when I'm back at it after work, when I've maybe had my quick lunchtime phone call, whatever I'm doing, and two o'clock's my sort of check back in and start the last sprint of the day, kind of like my ten a.m. where I've started. I'm checking what's going on. Then two o'clock is my rough secondary check-in otherwise i'm in my email all day long and i do nothing so what what do you guys think of that i thought that was a little strange but i I can see it a level but i did think it would be earlier
1: yeah that's it makes sense exactly how you described it makes sense because i do think that there are two parts to everybody's day there's that there's that really there's the morning and the afternoon and you break it up in that way and it's obviously going to be different for everybody maybe you have more meetings in the afternoon by nature or whatever but it makes sense. Yeah, it's it's, it's the same concept. So um, what I was talking about, you get in, you have your, you know, you, you go get your morning coffee, you sit down, you're you're there at 10, 10.30, same thing. You you have lunch or you're taking a little walk or whatever, you come back to your workspace. And uh, that time, instead of being uh, 10, 10.30, it's you know, 1.32, 2.30, that time period. So that makes, that makes complete sense. Also, I will say, I mean, m- maybe this also uh, applies a, a little bit um, people are probably, you know, they've probably cleared out the important items of their day, uh, through the morning and by the afternoon, they're, they're, uh, more accepting of, of things that are going to come across, uh, unexpectedly. So, um, maybe, maybe there's a factor there, uh, as well. I don't
0: know. probably have to dig into it. This is the first time I've been able to dig into the stats and pull out things that caught my eye. So I admit they're, uh, they're interesting and that's good but it means I have to work out why so that, that's my job for a while now
1: well we have five rapid fire questions for you um you kind of gave us rapid fire questions so do we have time uh do you have time to, to run through these quickly if we do these super rapid fire because we're, we're pretty much out of time and I do want to uh have you um let everybody know how they can connect with you and everything at the very end but do we have time to, to run through this now
0: yeah of course love to
1: All right. Five rapid fire questions for Ollie Whitfield. We've not prepared for these. Matt, I know you have a couple, so we can alternate if there's until you run out. I don't know. I have five, but all right, here we go. Um, We'll start you off easy. What was your first job?
0: I was a social media apprentice, which I still don't know what that means, but that's what it was.
1: Social media apprentice. Okay.
0: What field?
2: Um, Quick follow-up in a marketing agency. All right. Rapid fire question. Parlaying off that. What do marketing people actually think about salespeople? Can I swear? Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No need. Um, They think, oh damn, I couldn't do that job. That's hard. That's, that was my opinion. I I did famously say, I could never be in sales. That
2: sounds hard as hell. And then I tried to get into it and here we are. (laughs) That's so why we started a podcast because sales is hard as hell. Yeah.
1: Third question. Now that we've been, we've all been working remote for a while. Uh, you, You told us before the podcast, you've been working remote forever. What is the most annoying video conference behavior that you've experienced?
0: Not being on mute when you're not really talking and you can hear the dog in the background or the typing or the, Whatever it is while someone's trying to talk.
1: Oh, the loud typing gets me all the time. Just the, you know, somebody's banging that keyboard while- If it's uh, the
0: listen. laptop as well, it's like the mic is right next to the keyboard and you can hear that hammering down. that's That's my favorite.
1: Exactly. Or the uh, or the or, you know, I know we're getting out of rapid fire here. Or when you're on a, a massive conference call or a webinar or something, and then somebody you you know has their laptop just sitting there and they forgot to put it on mute and they're you know talking to somebody in their house or something in the background and
2: I had
1: that. Yeah, um, excuse me, can everybody just put themselves on on mute, please? Can we just um you know, can you just am I muting yourself there? Okay. All right, thanks. All
0: That's right. That's you, Matt. That's you in case you didn't hear us.
1: <laughs> um all right matt do you, do you have any more or i'll go will. all right uh Ali, what are your views of profanity in the workplace
0: uh i should cut down on it so um i'm in i'm in favor as long as it's not inappropriate uh if anything i've heard through a number of sources if you just if you use it in a in uh, appropriation then it's actually a good thing for sales results in in fairness what i've heard is if it Know, we don't we don't have to pretend we're all perfect humans we can cuss a little bit here and there but as long as it doesn't go too far or too often
1: i agree i'm a big fan last question when posting social media for a personal use to a personal account have you ever been concerned that you accidentally posted something personal to a business account that you were working on no all right we got a professional here never happened, Ali. All
0: right. I don't know about that, but we try.
1: <laughs> All right. So we're out of time officially. We ran a little over, but this has been an excellent conversation. I think there's tons of things that sellers can can put into practice immediately following the podcast. If anybody listening wants to connect with you directly, Ali, what are the best ways for them to do that?
0: I'm lucky I have a weird name. So if you search me on LinkedIn, you will probably find me. And sadly, there's one guy who has my name, who's got the Twitter handle so i have to have an underscore at the end of my thing one day i want that handle so if you're out there listening buddy i, I want your twitter name but yeah apart from that i'm uh, i'm mainly on linkedin all the time it's my favorite place to be so come say hello if i had said anything interesting at all
1: all right ollie whitfield thanks so much for doing this we need to do it again soon
0: yeah let's get a petition going for everybody to have
2: me come back on and grill you guys I like it the table. Yeah, it was fun. it was a fun little segment we did there.
1: Yeah, I think you're onto something. Instead of us doing five rapid fire questions to a guest, maybe the guest comes on and does five rapid fire questions for us.
2: Let's see what the listeners say. Let's see if they like it. How brave are we, James?
1: We're we're not that we're, we might not be that brave. We're a little bit brave. We'll see.
2: Ollie, thank you so
0: much for joining, man. It was a, it was a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks, gentlemen. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Ali. Interesting things on social selling, things I didn't know about, I'm going to put into practice. And I thought his creative email example was worth sharing. So we head into 2021. I think it's time. New Year's resolution. Let's get out of our box. Let's get creative. People aren't going to laugh at you. There's ways that we can connect with prospects that we haven't even thought of. Einstein said it. I think it was Einstein. The definition of madness is just repeating the same shit that you've already been doing the whole time. So so I think it's time. Let's start the revolution here on stuff about sales. Let's make some whack ass prospecting emails. Let's see some success. Share them with the podcast. Let's do this. Lastly, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. Please rate, please review. Thanks. We'll see you next time.